This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elk Shape Podcast number 12 with me, Dan Staten. And today, we're sitting down with a good buddy of mine, Wyatt from Kinetrek Boots. Wyatt, what's up, man? How's it going, Dan? It's going good. It's Friday and uh, get a chance to sit down and talk to you via Skype. Appreciate you calling in. I know you're busy, man. How are things in Montana? Oh, man, it's kind of cold. Uh, it's been pretty pretty cold this week. We were pretty much below zero all week long, but uh, it's warming up a little bit today. We're actually in the, the double digits. Nice. So nice. Yeah. Yeah, we got the same weather in Spokompton. It's just cold <laughs> and gross. We got that... Uh, we got pressure coming down from the north, so I think we're going to be cold for another week or two, and I mean cold. Yeah, that's all right, though. It's winter. It's supposed to be cold. Uh, you're right. You're right, man. So you are in um, Bozeman? Yes, sir. Oh, nice. Okay. And that's uh, headquarters for Kennecheck as well? Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, introduce yourself to those that don't know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm Wyatt. Uh, I am the marketing guy, I guess. I, I kind of don't have a real official title, but I handle all the marketing here at Kenetrek. So um, from print advertising to catalog to uh, social media and basically anything that you could categorize as marketing, my hands are touching it at some point. So it's a pretty exciting job. This is my third year here at Kenetrek really enjoy working for this company so third year what were you doing before that um i was working at the river's edge fly shop it's a, a fly shop here in Mont- here in bozeman um you know doing kind of similar stuff that i'm doing now only on a smaller scale obviously more local whereas kind of tracks obviously a pretty big national brand yeah that's cool so you transitioned over to kind how did you meet the owner and how did you kind of get the interview and how'd you land the job? Uh, honestly, I just saw it on, Oh, what's the job posting website? Uh, indeed, I think it is. Um, and I was like, Oh shoot, I should apply for this. So I applied and 
you know, I don't really have, um, didn't really have a main connection to Jim other than a friend of mine, uh, Michael White, who is the sales rep for Sitka here in Bozeman or in the, this area is also at that time, he was the sales rep for Sims. And so at the river's edge, we were really involved with Sims. So I had kind of built this relationship between him or with him in that regard. So, you know, I had him put in a good word for me and then got a couple interviews with Jim and, you know, seemed to really connect well with him. He's a great guy to work for. And yeah, here we are. Here you are. Cool. So how old are you? I'm 23. 23 years young. Dude, nice. You, um, <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that. You act older than your age. And that's a compliment, by the way. Yeah, so that's thanks. good. Um, so in your 23 years, how long have you been elk hunting? Let's see. I've been, I killed my first elk when I was, I think I was 16. You know, I never had really, my dad had been doing some elk hunting, um, but we'd never really spent a lot of time. We've always deer hunted, antelope hunt, do a lot of bird hunting as well, but we'd never really spent much time elk hunting until that year. So that's actually, that's actually the only elk I've killed. Um, cause shortly after that, I started bow hunting and we all know that it's a little bit harder to kill one with a bow than it is a rifle. So I'm, I'm holding out. I've had some good opportunities, but haven't, I'm holding out for a six point. So I want my first elk with the bow to be a special one. So, Oh, mad respect for that. You got, uh, Dude, I don't know if I could do that, man. I'm, <laughs> I've killed some twenty something elk, and I still like get pretty antsy when a satellite comes in, and I haven't gotten one down yet. It's, it's uh, that takes some super impressive control and discipline for sure. And uh, you know, where whereabouts in Montana? With obviously not giving away your hotspots, but like, where do you kind of roam in Montana? Like, you stay in the central part of the state, or do you head somewhere a long ways away? You hunt out your back door. Oh man, we have, so Montana is just full of awesome elk hunting, obviously. And especially as a resident, you know, there's really, most of Montana is just open units. So I can pretty much hunt wherever I want. There's a few special draws. So I mainly hunt, uh, in Southwest Montana, which is, you know, basically right out my door. You know, I got a few spots within half an hour up here that I hunt, uh, quite a bit. You know, it's nice stays fairly light pretty late that time of year so i can go out after work and get a a couple hours in right after work and then uh you know if i have some time last year i actually hunted out in eastern montana in uh, the missouri river breaks which i'm sure that's not giving away a secret spot by saying that because they're pretty darn popular now out there but um had a great hunt out there and was actually on a couple really nice bulls and just couldn't seal the deal but I uh, look forward to hunting out there some more because it was definitely different than anything I've hunted in this part of the state. No doubt. I mean, that's awesome country, and it's like the mountain flipped upside down. You're hunting down, and uh, right. it's it's interesting. You can glass a lot. Um, I've never put in for that area. I've always wanted to. I might, but what kind of style of elk hunting do you think you do? Or, and maybe you have your a mixed bag, but do you think majority of your elk hunting is pull up in the truck in the dark and hike from the truck, or is it a base camp spike camp uh bivouacking uh what's your style yeah so up until this year most of it was just pull up in the dark park and get out and start hiking um but so this was the first year i hunted out in the missouri breaks and obviously that was completely different than anything i've done around here you know i so i actually spent a few nights out in the 
in the elk essentially just trying to get close to them and pattern them and there was a lot of uh you know it was all spot and stock which was really neat but rather than you know where we're at in southwest montana it's pretty thick um you're more you're, you know there's a lot more uh calling just trying to locate those elk whereas out there i was just sitting on my butt for eight hours a day trying to find one through the through the glass yes when it comes to public land elk hunting what's the pressure like where in your experience you know hunting with i mean everybody's damn near a hunter in montana and everybody knows who lives out of state i say it all the mm-hmm. time montana is probably one of the best over-the-counter or general season places to hunt i mean you get six weeks archery and five weeks rifle on the same tag uh what's the hunting pressure like where you're at uh it's pretty high you know i always say that bozeman it's a really great place to live but it's almost getting to the point where it's too outdoorsy now like everybody bow hunts and it used to be where you know rifle season was pretty busy just because there's a lot of rifle hunters now but if you were out in bow season it's pretty quiet, but bow hunting, at least in this area, has gotten really popular. So it's it's getting to be harder and harder to find, you know, a little honey hole where you don't have to work that hard to get in there. Um, and that seems like it's kind of across the map. If you want to find some seclusion, you got to work your butt off and really put in the time and put in the miles to get in there further than anybody else. I think for those that are listening, their ears should perk up. I mean, I've been preaching this just about on every time, every episode is, you know, I think one of the best ways to approach elk hunting is to hunt out of your backpack. It's Mm -hmm. super intimidating and elk hunting is already a steep learning curve. And now I'm telling you to put enough food and supplies in your bag and go for three to four days at a time if you can or longer. Sleep on the ground near the elk wake up at the elk and you know it's a competition on uh, generally speaking it's a competition because everybody else wants success just as bad as you and it's the little things that are going to be separation and i think backpacking hunting is probably going to continue to be one of the more viable options when it comes to public land hunting which is all that i do and you can't be afraid or intimidated to at least do it. I mean, yeah, you're probably going to suck your first couple times. There's going to you're going to pack too many things, or you're going to not buy the right things, and you could run out of food, or you're just going to pick the wrong place to sleep, or you could be intimidated by bears, especially where you hunt. You know, you got grizzlies to contend mm-hmm. with in certain areas, but there's only one way to do it, and that's just to go for it, jump off the deep end. And see and, and refine your system year to year and do as much research as you can. And it's a no matter how much research you do, it'll never be enough. You'll make some mistakes and be prepared for that. Have you done any backpack bow hunting yourself yet? Um, let's see. I've done a couple trips uh, the past couple of years. Like I said, that one out in the Missouri Breaks was a backpack hunt. I mean, I, it wasn't like it was very extreme because it's pretty flat out there. But I was a few miles away from the truck and really just did that because there's a lot of roads out there so the guys who were hunting out there could you know it, it's hard to get a couple miles away from a road so yeah. i just found um i don't do you use on x maps right yeah for sure and that, everybody that, listening should because it's oh man it's a must and when it comes to public land hunting yeah so that new uh roadless area feature that layer that they developed 
that was like a game changer for that area just to be able to get away from the roads because it, you know even in bow season it was just full of guys just cruising in their trucks or atvs and to be able to find some areas that are a couple miles away from any road was huge yeah so for those that don't know onyx made their app way better this summer they launched it i think in august and um you can basically keep your phone on airplane mode burn hardly any battery really truly and you can track every step you're making and you can overlay a topo map or a regular map or a satellite topo hybrid map you can drop a pin anywhere and share it via text to anybody that you want to share a waypoint with you can put all these layers in and your map will be customized to what so the layer he's talking about is just you put in i think it's the randy newberg roadless area mm-hmm. you put that in and it's gonna shade over large chunks of roadless areas and where you're hunting in public land when there's a lot of roads those elk are going to be in those roadless areas that's just by by nature that's where they're going to end up congregating so and i think yeah total game changer you know dude what's funny why it is i hunted with the ch- gps Every year, I would buy the chips from Onyx, the little micro SD chip of the state, put it in, and you know, go through batteries and keep my GPS on all the time. And it's uh, completely put away this year. Put away, mm-hmm. use the app, never looking back. So if anyone's listening and wants to buy a used Oregon Garmin, <laughs> let me. It's yours. I'll sell it to you for dirt cheap. It's uh, it's obsolete. You know, it really is. I mean, it's, yeah. And those guys over there are in Montana as well. So that's cool. Yeah, backpack hunting is hard, and you. It can be intimidating when you do it by yourself, solo backpacking. I'm a huge solo elk hunter, and it, I didn't start out that way. But over time, kind of learned my best practices, and a lot of them didn't align with hunting with other people. For example. Uh, don't go to sleep very often in September if I don't have an elk to hunt the next day, if I'm not into elk sign. I'm hiking at night, ridgelines, bugling, covering ground, trying to locate elk. And most elk are up feeding in the middle of the night or rutting or something. So your chances mm-hmm. of communicating with them are a lot better. And then as far as getting up early, I, I like to have everything ready to go in the morning and be out the door or we're out of the tent and almost to the point where I'm early, too early, and have to, you know, almost back off a little bit and wait for it to get light before you make a move. But I, I, I've found a lot of success in that. The only thing that's really challenging with solo hunting is that you are going to get probably, it's more difficult to call in elk on your own solo, you know, because elk can pinpoint where that sound comes from. So you have to kind of finesse your game a little bit and really use land features and kind of know what the elk are going to do before they do it. But have you elk hunted solo much? Yeah, so I I pretty much have hunted solo for the past few years, a couple times. You know, I, I hunted uh, Idaho two years ago with a buddy of mine, and um, he did quite a bit of calling for me and got me in on a couple elk, but couldn't seal the deal. But yeah, other than that, for the most part, I hunt solo a lot, or my fiance tags along with me. She doesn't really call much, though, so she's just there for moral support. Well, that's awesome. And that's a good thing for those that are thinking about getting married. You might start thinking about putting that bride through a couple elk seasons or future brides so she can uh, understand the obsession or at least understand where, you know, hey, I always told my wife, look, I could be out with my buddies drinking at the bar every night. 
you never got to worry about that because my alarm clock's going off at 3.34 in the morning to go elk hunting or to go training for elk hunting or to shoot a bow to be ready. So uh, marinating elk hunter is a good thing. There's a lot more upside because you never have to worry about them making poor decisions and being a party boy. Um, although some elk camps are like that, but when you're hunting with a bow and solo, <laughs> it's it's game on. And it's hard to call solo. I mean, there's a lot of like yeah. – when do you challenge bugle and then you and i think i've talked about this on many videos but a lot of guys don't understand like once you make your last sound you have to move to a different position because that elk will know the gps coordinates as to where you are standing and they yep. will they will circle or get your wind or get eyes on you and so there's a lot of sneaking around moving around manipulating and making sure to call and and know what that bull wants to hear and what he's gonna do you know uh, that's pretty cool. Have you hunted out of state at all? I would assume not since you live in Montana. Yeah, just Idaho. Just Idaho. Um, yeah, just a uh, couple hours south of here in Bozeman. Um, would, would you go back to Idaho or was it like, eh? Um, I would go back. Uh, I don't know that I, well, I shouldn't say this because we got into a lot of elk, but just the area that we were hunting was very, very thick. So, I mean, we were within 40 yards of elk several times and never even saw them oh were you hunting by my cabin in idaho were you up in north north idaho no 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 we were just across the montana border so like uh just two hours south of bozeman oh it's thick over like, there huh yeah super thick yeah like i i've never hunted anything like that before i mean even montana's you know it's pretty thick in places here but it it's wide open compared to that yeah that's definitely true so what's your day job look like man when it comes to managing the brand and, and advertising and marketing i mean give us the good the bad the ugly yeah so it's uh you know it's a really fun job because i'm never really doing the same thing over and over again it's it's a lot of different projects that i've got going like right now for example i'm uh, I get to work on all of the creative for our 2018 ad campaigns for you know all the de- various print publications that we run in um, Eastman's, you know Western Hunter, all those. So I'm I'm trying to get all those knocked out, and then next month I will move transition into catalog and trying to lay out all the products and all of the. Um, photos and all of that fun stuff for our 2018 consumer catalogs uh that we print you know we do four different print runs so it's working on all that and then you know day-to-day stuff here in the office is you know managing our social media accounts and trying to navigate the crazy waters of social media and so it's <laughs> ever-changing and trying to stay up to date on all the different strategies there and there's a lot going on. Definitely. What uh, What's your least favorite part of the gig? Um, I would say my least favorite part of the gig. Sometimes it can be a bit of like making donuts. Like it's, uh, you know, sometimes um, one of my coworkers will come up to me and say, hey, I need a, uh, a postcard designed for so-and-so promotion or something like that. And you know, it, it's like I, I shouldn't be complaining about that because it's still pretty darn fun and I get to be creative. And But I, I do definitely enjoy more of the marketing strategy yeah. part of the job um, just because I get to be, you know, more future-oriented. 
Yeah, so you basically, um, you know how to work Premiere, Photoshop, Lightroom, InDesign. Yeah. You're Adobe Suite Master. Yeah, I would I would say uh, pretty close. Although with Premiere, I feel like uh, Premiere Pro is so incredibly, you can do so much with that that I feel like when I open that program up, it would be equivalent to me sitting behind the sitting in the captain seat of a jet airplane, <laughs> you know, it's like I can maybe I can produce some short videos and do some normal stuff, but there's so much untapped features that I don't even, they're, they're way over my head in that. But God. as far as right, dude, um, I just switched to premiere this week and it's, <laughs> you're talking to a guy who I actually used to edit, um, a hunting TV show. The guy lives in Spokane. His name's Jen Burnworth. I'm not sure if he's mm-hmm. still doing Western extreme or not, but yeah, he is. Uh, I know his kids real well. I love his kids. And, uh, they basically brought me in as a contractor, showed me everything with Final Cut Pro, and dude, I mean, I was there for I don't know how long, probably over a year, editing show after show, and um, that's how I learned how to edit. And man, once you learn a way to do it, and you got all the mm-hmm. shortcuts on the keyboard, and I can edit so fast, but I know it's uh, I'm way overdue. So I actually was trying to mess around with Premiere Pro today and just do a little something, and I just like. I'm going to have to do some YouTube geek out tutorial videos and go base. I don't know any shortcuts. It's driving me nuts. And there's so many buttons and so many. Yeah. Oh, I totally feel you. And it's intimidating, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to force myself to learn it. It's just tough. Yeah. It takes I need a lot to time. spend some more time with it as well. Um, I mean, I, most of my work is all graphics based. So I'm mostly in Photoshop and InDesign and illustrator and, you know, I would consider myself pretty good with all of those, but I definitely have a lot to learn with Premiere. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun to a cool job to where you get to you get paid to learn, and the more you learn, the right. better you're going to help the brand. So let's talk about the brand a little bit. I mean, Elk Shape is not about just talking to my partners and selling their stuff to listeners, but I have used Kinetrek boots since 2010, and I've used them. Oh man, the heck out of them! Lots of miles on these boots and. They're really well made. Their price point is definitely in the range of you're making an investment. It's not anything like a pair of Merrells or that you're just going to burn out every year. And, you know, they're built for sheep hunters, so they can definitely handle what elk hunters need. That's what I always say. As far as the boots go, what seems to be the most popular or what you would recommend for guys who are looking to invest in a boot and then maybe talk them through a couple different choices based on the terrain they're going to hunt and stuff like that? Yeah, so... Typically, our most popular elk boot, and I believe it's the one you're using as well, it's the Mountain Extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of our flagship line, I would say. That's kind of That was the original mountain boot that we designed and developed. And, you know, it's been in the line ever since with a few slight tweaks to make it just even better. But that's definitely our, you know, our number one elk boot. Comes in a couple different options as far as insulation goes we do a non-insulated version and a 400 version 400 grams of thinsulate and a thousand gram as well for really cold stuff but most of your elk hunting is either going to be non-insulated or 400 Um, and it's interesting we actually see it's almost a elevation break whether they order non-insulated or 400 gram typically guys down south of colorado and idaho um, even southern Idaho are ordering the non-insulated and then everything north of there so northern Idaho, Montana, Wyoming Colorado Washington, 
they're mostly going with 400 grams just uh, based on temperature. Yeah, I would suggest uh, if you're like me and you're basically you're out there in September, no matter where you're at, and I'm I'm hunt when I don't draw a good tag, I'm going over the counter Idaho. Uh, I go non-insulated, man. It's yeah, plenty hot in September. The last thing you want is sweaty feet because that's how you get your socks. Even if your socks are wool, sweat is going to be a recipe for blisters and hot feet. No bueno. And everything in a hunt starts from the ground up. It's so overlooked. I mean, yes, I preach fitness, but I think even before fitness becomes foot care because you could be as fit as possible and have blisters and it's pretty much impossible to have an enjoyable yeah. hunt at that point. You're done. You're done. You're done at that point. Yeah. You're done. So how much do your boots wear? They're under four pounds, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they're 3.9 for the non-insulated and just over four pounds per pair on the 400s. Yeah, and you can um, get high on a high or a mid. Yeah, so the the lower version, it's a seven-inch tall boot. That's actually the hard scrabble hiker. Um, I was going to mention that as well. That's a great archery boot. Yep, that's probably um, the one I use the most. Yeah, if you're just archery hunting, if it's just September, maybe early October late august that's an awesome boot definitely and when did you guys start making socks because your socks are the bomb (laughs) uh let's see we've been making socks for a while now i want to say since 2008 or 9 somewhere in that range no way well i just got introduced to them this season this 2017 and that's all i wore uh and i loved it because you know my feet didn't get sweaty they were synthetic and they were really durable. They were they went up high to the knee, um, the feet, the foot box felt really well inside the sock. I don't know. I'm not a huge sock guy, but I kind of am. After you try something, once you kind of find something really good, you get excited about it, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, your socks are almost as important as your boots, um, and it's kind of I, I would say socks are often the most overlooked piece of gear, but it can really make a huge difference in comfort and warmth or you know having overheat overheated feet is a bad thing as well so it it makes all the difference and you know obviously i love our socks but really um there's a lot of really high performance socks out there i i would say the thing that i hate to see the most is guys out there in like cotton hanes socks that's just a recipe for blisters and all sorts of foot problems well, let's talk about boot maintenance, boot care, because that's going to be important. I think everybody can appreciate. You don't just take your boots after you've been hunting in gumbo or whatever mud and just throw it on the shelf for, and then dust them off when it comes spring or, or the next scouting season. So one thing that you opened my eyes to last year at the Western Hunt Expo was like you said, I was to asking you about like using mink oil and you about lost it. You're like, no, 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 no. Try this. <laughs> and you handed me your guys's waterproofing boot wax in it. I remember you saying that it was kind of made of a beeswax slash like vegetable oil and that it is literally the only thing you should use for your boots. Can you kind of go over that boot care and what you'd recommend? So guys that make the investment in the boots get the longevity. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really important for our boots, but it's really Uh, It comes down to, across the board, any boot, and you'll notice it if you look at ours and some of our uh, competitors, any boot that has a laminated rubber rand, so it's that rubber chunk that goes around the bottom parts of the boots. If you use any product like a mink oil or anything that has a really high oil content, that oil will soak down the leather and it'll actually eat through the glue that is used to laminate that rubber rand. 
Um, and so over time you'll see problems where that rubber rand will start to peel away and the, the, you know, it, it causes all sorts of problems. So we developed that Kenetrek boot wax that I was show, showing you, and it's basically just an all-natural beeswax which, with a couple other ingredients um, that help condition the leather, but it does not cause that delamination uh, cement breakdown in that rubber rand, and, and that's huge. And so, you know, whether you own Kenetrex or any other brand, uh, we recommend using it. I use it on all of my leather products from... You know, even the casual boots that I'm wearing right now have the Kenetrek boot wax on them. Exactly. Yeah, they're working great for me. Well, we talked about the boots. We talked about a little bit about your elk hunting, previous experiences, and pedigree. I would say I'm really curious to know how you're going to turn the tables and get that six point this year. You obviously have to do something different, or you're going to have the same result. I'm sure you've thought of that. So, yeah. Let me ask you a couple of questions and kind of get people thinking about. Um, it's off season and you got to be thinking about how are you going to change the game from last year? First question, how many days did you hunt for elk with a bow last year? Uh, let's see. Last year I hunted, I would say 20 or so with a bow. Holy crap. That's awesome. And that's what it takes. So the first yeah. thing is for success. Obviously is, it's going to take more than that. Well, it all <laughs> Although I will say I did have some opportunities last year. Yeah. Um, I, I was trying really hard not to draw back my bow on a couple smaller bulls that, and don't get me wrong, it, you know, any, any elk with a bow is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. For whatever reason, I've just kind of set this goal to kill a mature bull as my first with a bow. And that, dude, that is awesome. And it's, that's between you and Wyatt and nobody else. And who gives a right. crap what he wants thinks. So of those 20 days, were you into elk? How many days were you into elk? Like, and for me, I mean, you're within a couple hundred yards and they're talking. Like, how many days yeah. were you into elk? Well, I hunted some new areas that I'd never hunted before and had a couple of pretty rough days. So I would say maybe out of those 20 days, I was into elk uh, maybe a little less than half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's tough. Uh, and I would prefer to be into elk every day that I am hunting where there's no yeah, yeah. squandered days. Yep. But that, you know, what you did do is you eliminated some places that you don't need to revisit. And that's right. always a I, good positive. I found out, I found out well, where the elk aren't. Now I just have to find out where they are. And that's a part of the game. And that's why I preach going back to the same places year after year. If you're a greenhorn or just haven't had consistent success yet, it's, it's learning someplace so intimately that – uh, it's an advantage. Uh, and so, yeah, you eliminated some things, and that's good. What do you think has been the mistake that you made that hurt the most and you damn sure won't make again when it comes to elk hunting public land with a bow? Uh, not being ready. Um, <laughs> things happen fast, as yeah. you know, um, and just not being ready. You know, I've had a couple really close encounters with nice bulls. Um, down in Idaho two years ago, I had a really good opportunity on a pretty nice six point and he, we, we were storming in me and my buddy, we were storming into this real thick timber patch and I got caught out in the open and this bull came screaming at me, ready to kill me. And, uh, looked me dead in the eyes at about 40 yards away. And I was, you know, didn't have a face mask on or, you know, I was just standing there like, what is going on? And so, yeah, that's, that's been the biggest, uh, learning experience for me is you, you always gotta be ready. I mean, when you're within 
couple hundred yards of a bull, you got to be ready. That's awesome. I think that uh, last year, I talked about this in my last podcast, <clears throat> I spent eight days trying to hunt this one bull in particular, and I had heard rumors that this bull had was there, and I had never gone in and checked it out. And so I had a bull down, and I had another tag, and I had eight days. So I was like, I'm going to really finesse this little niche area and uh, get in on this bull. And so the very first time I went in there, it was in the afternoon. I dropped in, and I was just basically going to wait till just before dark and let out a few bugles and try to, like, check the temperature. The elk sign was awesome. I knew there was a lot of elk there. Got that bull going and pretty much pinpointed where he was at wasn't enough time to drop down and i was above him the wind was going to switch any minute it just would have been uh, you know it just probably wouldn't have worked out and so i just saved him for the next day conversely came in on the bottom in the morning which i like doing on some on some mountain drainages because at least for a good solid hour in the dark to an hour after first light you got the wind which is huge but you are hunting uphill I remember looking at my watch. I think it was about 5.30 in the morning, still dark, and I heard him torch off on his own. And he would torch off about every 15, 20 minutes, which to me made it sound like he had all his cows, he had no satellites, and he was just kind of pushing them from feeding to bedding. And it took me about three hours, Wyatt, to get (laughs) caught up to these elk. And I'm in good shape, and I covered some ground, and I was soaked in sweat, and I would not stop for water or nothing. I was just hauling ass. Finally caught up to him in an alder field, and just a fa- I told the story last podcast, so I'm not going to be redundant, but, dude, I didn't get my bow pulled back when I should have, and so I stared at him 11 yards away. Couldn't get my bow pulled back because he was looking right through me. You know, mm-hmm. It was one of the situations where the slightest movement, he would have bolted, and when he did turn his head away from me, that's when I like tried to pull my bow back slowly, and he still picked that sound of my cams turning. I mean, it was a dead quiet day. There was no wind. It was blue skies, and he just heard that little sound, and he bolted like a whitetail, uh, which is probably why he's easily a 350-inch bull. And I didn't tell this story on the last podcast, but I have this little contour head cam and they're they're not fish-eyed, so it's pretty good footage. And I had this thing rolling, so I basically had footage from 11 yards of a 350-plus-inch bull. And I was, like, so stoked to get the video footage because he bugled, by the way, like twice, 11 yards away. It was just hmm. awesome. awesome. And his bugle was pretty amazing. So long story short is I lost my contour in my pocket chasing after him about an hour later. Um, oh. And it's still on the mountain, buried in snow, and I don't know if I'll ever oh, find man. it again, but I wanted to be able to have the footage. And I had a GoPro rolling over my shoulder through my backpack, so I have that footage. And even through the GoPro in a case, you can hear the bugle, and it's pretty amazing. <laughs> but uh, not knowing when to pull your bow back sucks. You're going to learn. You're going to make some yep. mistakes. But it's better to pull back early and have trained to do that than to – you know have an elk come right into your lane but now they're staring right at you and you can't get your bow pulled back so mm-hmm. for, for perfect practice and I, be- I made a program called 21 days to elk shape that people are actually getting now and i'm pretty excited and i have training and nutrition and shooting actual shooting workouts that you have to do and one of those is holding a bow back for x amount of time and then executing your shot which a lot of guys don't think about in the off season and i think that's one thing you can do to really at least be prepared 
is can you shoot your bow with a high heart rate with a backpack on under duress and hold it back for a minute or two and still be accurate out to what distance you need to know that yeah that's one thing that i started doing uh last fall and you know you think about it doesn't sound that hard to like hold your bow back for a minute and then shoot but try it like obviously you know but um, if you've never done it before, give it a shot and tell me that it's not one of the harder things you've ever done. No doubt. It, uh, it's tough, um, but it makes all the difference, you know, cause, uh, you'll appreciate it if you're ever in that situation that you have to hold your bow back for a minute plus. Yeah, definitely. So when do you start to ramp things up like conditioning and shooting and scouting and all that kind of stuff? I mean, does it start with shed hunting season or do you go to a gym? What do you do for workouts and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so uh, I try and get in about three days a week at the gym. It can be a little tough. I, I haven't been as disciplined as I wanted to be during show season. Not making excuses, but it's it definitely requires more effort when you're on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so right, I've actually just kind of recently got back in the gym um, more consistently, trying to get in at least, at least three days a week. Um, and then as soon as the snow melts, then I'm going to start mixing in some heavy rocks with the pack on, um, some more long endurance hikes. You're a, you're a gym rat, right? You, you run the CrossFit gym and you're, you're all on board with that. But I, I'm not a huge gym fan. Um, I would much rather spend my time outside, which I'm sure you would as well, but you also appreciate gym time. Um, so I, I have to really motivate myself to go to the gym whereas when the snow melts and i can go for a hike it's a lot easier for me to get out then but it's really been the past year that i've i've realized what a and you're gonna love this what a huge part fitness plays in in hunting and elk hunting specifically and you know i kind of set the goal last summer that i was going to get in better shape and i've lost uh 50 pounds in the last eight months and so that's been huge for me. I noticed a huge difference last fall in my elk hunting, you know, just being able to get out there earlier and hike further and really get after it. Whereas in previous years, you know, I wasn't in as good a shape, so I'd get gassed out and you end up quitting early and you're not going to kill one if you're not out there. So, hmm, man, I am in, truly impressed. And I think that people need to understand, take someone like me who weighs a buck 60 Put a 50-pound weight vest on me, so now I'm 210. <clears throat> Put my day pack on, because I sure as hell ain't doing backpacking hunting. Put a day pack on me, so now I'm 230. And you expect me with, you know, basically God, 230 pounds versus 160 in the mountains, it's uh, you're not going to be able to hunt as well, and you're not going to enjoy it, and you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to cover the country you took a 50-pound weight vest off your body. Holy shit, you're going to be so much better at elk hunting. Guaranteed. Yeah. yeah. You're going to feel better. You're going to recover faster. You're going to move faster. You're going to be more efficient. You're not going to suck down as many calories or water. And your heart doesn't have to work as hard to supply oxygenated blood and to fight off fatigue. Uh, there's just so many upsides for longevity. And so you can't tell me that that's not a game changer. I mean, that is huge. Now, I'm impressed, but what impressed me more is how do you plan on keeping the 50 pounds off? Like, I have trained thousands of athletes. Mm. I've been a coach or a trainer or a director of fitness for 15 plus years. I've had a lot of athletes come and go. I've had athletes lose hundreds of pounds and, yep. slow, and slowly gain it back. It seems like it is kind of a genetic thing, slightly. 
and it is a lifestyle yeah. thing slightly. And uh, it seems like getting the weight off was hard, but keeping it off is even harder. How, what's your plan for that? Really, it came down to a major diet change. You know, I wasn't necessarily eating terrible food, but not the best food as well. And just having that, you know, finally getting to the point where I was just over it and I realized that I was not performing as well in the, the activities that I loved, it, it kind of finally hit home and it was like, okay, I need to do this. And so now looking back at where I've come and, you know, being in the, the condition that I am now, it's like, you don't ever want to go back to that. Like, you know, why would you, why would you put yourself through that again when, you know, you had to work so hard to get where you are now? So, yeah, I guess that's, that would be one of my main sources of motivation and just being able to, you know, enjoy, uh, hiking in the mountains. And it, it was kind of a, it came down to a mental change as well, where, you know, I didn't really enjoy working hard and, you know, I didn't enjoy being sore and I didn't enjoy sweating. Whereas now it's like, that's kind of part of the fun, right? You go up in the mountains during training and you just try and abuse yourself sometimes. And it's kind of, it's almost, you know, it sucks when you're doing it, but the the gratification that you get afterwards is so immense. That's awesome. Why I am pumped to hear that. I think what you said right there was it's the mind is primary and everything mm-hmm. else follows and it is how you look at it. And yeah, working out sucks. Getting up early sucks. Saying no to delicious food sucks. And so you better have a why to, yeah. to propel you through the tough, difficult, lonely decisions that really no one else is going to make for you. And you were given an opportunity I do want to dig in a little bit, and this is kind of where we'll wrap things up, but you said you made some changes in your food. You really got to help me out with this. I mean, did you start with like, okay, I'm going to drink X amount of water a day, or I'm going to eat this many meals a day, or uh, what kind of rules did you set for yourself, or I won't eat past 8 o'clock at night, or I'm going to get work out before work. I mean, what kind of parameters did you start with, or and how did they evolve? Yeah, so kind of originally it started with um just drinking more water and trying to only drink water and you know i was always the kind of guy that would run to the gas station at lunch and i wouldn't go for the mountain dew but i'd go for like the vitamin water which is basically yep. a non-carbonated version right you think it's got water in the name so it must be healthy for you right <laughs> oh yeah there's a ton of sugar uh, in vitamin water. oh man ton so yeah it was kind of it started with that transition away from sugary drinks and you know even just just by drinking water alone i started just the weight just started falling off even just that first step was you know probably 20 pounds almost at least 15 pounds in the first couple weeks just from drinking water um and so that was good because it kind of helped motivate me and then more recently i've been trying to transition i've been doing intermittent fasting more and more and i've been trying to stick to that routine and that's been really good for me you know at first i wasn't quite sure about the whole you know so basically i'm sure you know what it is but you know i only eat for six to eight hours a day and i try and fast for the rest so i i usually eat lunch around noon and then i usually eat dinner around six to seven and that's the only, you know, other than noon to seven, I don't eat for the rest of the day. 
Um, and that's been really good um, as far as, you know, just overall health and digestive health and all of that stuff. It's been really helpful for me. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I do want to talk to that a little bit. And I want people to know Oak Shape obviously is a holistic approach. It's a way of life. And elk hunting is your driver, your why, why you make hard decisions. I know it is for me. But when it comes to intermittent fasting, the thing to think about is not every diet is, is made for everybody. There's, nope. you know, you got to find what works for you. Not All of us are not created on the same plane. Like you come from a different set of genes, ancestry, DNA, code, RNA, all that kind of stuff. You also have different bacteria in your gut compared to me. And we also have different blood types probably. And so you really got to figure out what works well for you. I would say anyone who maybe has the deck stacked against them, genetically speaking, like where, you know, you're the opposite of me where like you look at a donut and you feel like you just gained a pound. You know what I mean? That's not me. I'm so active and just generally built to be lean. But there are some people that have kind of the you know the cards stacked against them. I think intermittent fasting is a, is a great yeah. is a great option, and if you're stuck in a plateau, it's a great option. And and this isn't just for weight loss. This can be anything because it does. I think it will help your metabolism overall to be disciplined and to start your feeding at say 11 or 12 and be done by 7 or 8 p.m. and shut it down. And it's just a good option and see if it works for you. And more importantly, see how you perform with it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are looking for just the weight on the scale to go down. But I want people when they're starting a workout program to look at how are they performing and how is their energy levels throughout the day. Have you noticed that it was a little bit of a – was it a tough period transitioning to that where you had some mm-hmm. cravings or crashes or was it pretty easy for you? Yeah, it, well, it started out easy. And then um, a few weeks in, I kind of lost it for a little bit and couldn't quite keep the discipline. And then it's kind of smoothed out since to where I haven't had those like early morning hunger urges. Um, Really for me, the biggest thing is staying busy. Like I'm a bored eater. Mm -hmm. So if I don't have anything to do, I might as well be eating. Yep. Um, And so for me, staying busy at the office or getting up at 5.30 and going to the gym um, and getting my work in then, getting up early and and staying busy has been probably equally as effective for yes. diet diet control. Dude, that's um, awesome. But like you mentioned, you know, obviously it's got to be, you know, different diet plans will work differently for other people. And um, I think it's the important thing is to be constantly researching it and evolving it as well because it's – you know, just because it's working for me now doesn't mean it's going to work for me this fall when I'm, you know, in the mountains more. So I'll have to, you know, I haven't haven't really seriously been doing the intermittent fasting during hunting season. So this summer, as I begin more outdoor training and, you know, a lot more hiking and all day stuff, I will have to evaluate it again and see how it's going then. Yeah. Because right now, you know, in the gym, you know, I'm there for an hour and that's great. And it's fine right now. But when I'm out in the mountains and I'm hiking for 10 hours a day, um, it might not be as effective. So Mm -hmm. we'll just see how it, how it turns out. But dude, 
Congratulations again. That's pretty cool. So recap, we talked about how elk hunting's hard, even for guys that live in Montana. We talked about your unprecedented standard of a six-point bull or mature bull for your first <laughs> bow kill, and you're sticking to it. Dude, mad props. Sticking to it. I yep, love that, This is the man. year. I got a good feeling about this year. Me too, man. I, I do. I really do. I think it's going to be the year for you, and it's just that you're going to smash that learning curve and Mm-hmm. it's going to be awesome i love talking about the boots a little bit and kind of getting people exposed to that and and not overselling it just kind of informing them on some good boot care and, and the why's behind yeah. why i use kinetrek and have and then um your success i want to celebrate that i think that's pretty cool and to me it's what it's all about is trying to make yourself better and if you can use elk hunting and to drive you and you know one of the byproducts is you're really fit and feel good about yourself and have self-confidence that's awesome so uh anything else you need to touch on man uh i don't think so dan i appreciate you having me on here and um i appreciate your support of our our product and yeah thanks that's awesome man well well, hang on the line i will talk to you afterwards and appreciate you coming on wyatt where can people follow you and kinetrek on uh, the old socials yeah so we're on kinetrek uh or, sorry, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Kenetrek Boots. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. It's uh, just my name, Wyatt Nielsen. You can find me on there. I would call myself an amateur photographer. But it's pretty pretty easy when you're out here in Montana where you can just uh, turn the camera on and start taking photos and everything's pretty darn beautiful. So That's awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks for chatting, and we'll see you soon. Cool. Thanks.